0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Aniwa people. I pay my respects to their Elders past, present and emerging.
1: You know, I was doing the sums the other day. These last four vintages, 1920, 21, 22, we still haven't got to the to the total production of 2018 yet, so they've been, they've been pretty lean years.
2: I'm really excited too to have a vintage banner when we can pick grapes when we want to or not when we need to.
0: <laughs> this is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Topper's Mountain Wines are single vineyard wines from close to heaven. In case you're wondering where that is, it's located in New England in the northern slopes of New South Wales. Jan Taborski is wine manager and owner and vigneron is Mark Kirby. They join me today to share the story which is anything but ordinary. Hi Jan, hi Mark. Thanks for joining me.
1: G'day Shante. Hey Shante, how are you?
0: I'm very well. Thank you for making the time. Mark, the Toppers Mountain story starts in the ground around 1998, but can you share with us a little bit more about the history of New England? Viticulture reaches back as far back as kind of the first settlers in the 1800s, but a lot of people don't know as much as they should about New England.
1: Yeah, Shante. Um, it, wine in the region began with um, with George Wyndham from Wyndham Estate, the hunter, and he established a big property up just north of Inverell called Bacala in the 1860s and uh, and so he brought cuttings from um, from Wyndham Estate in the Hunter up and uh, and established a wine industry up there and uh, and it became quite significant by the turn of the century
0: and in terms of you know the region itself you know it is described as cool climate but also a continental kind of climate It can get really quite warm and then quite kind of cold in in winter as well. What is the climate like out there? Um, Well, it it is a
1: cool climate, yeah. And, um, I mean, we're a long way north, but we're at 900 metres. So, that altitude um, very much ameliorates the climate. I mean, Toppers has never recorded a 40-degree day. So, um, you know, the summer days at, um, at Toppers are normally from 28 to 32. And we might get, if you had a normal year, and I don't ever remember having one of them, but uh, if we had a a normal year, it's probably uh, something like five or six days over 35 a year.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it seems to kind of get a little bit of everything in terms of, you know, weather weather patterns. But Mark, tell me a little bit about where the Topper's Mountain story begins. What made you plant a vineyard?
1: Well, that's a that's a long story. But um, we used to be cotton growers in Moree and we formed a in the early nineties. We were we were getting a bit sick and tired of irrigated cotton, and um, and myself and my two brothers and some friends in Moree formed a partnership, Thunderbolts Rock Partnership, and we decided that we wanted to do some stuff in horticulture, in permanent plantings, as opposed to um, you know, annual cropping which we'd been in. And the first cab off the rank was um, was 100 hectares of olives just east of Moree. And then Peter Birch, who was uh, one of the partners, is an agronomist and he flies. And so he knows we're all good bits of dirt are. And it came to his attention that Toppers Mountain was on the market and he knew that it was a a basalt cap. And so we went and had a look at it and we bought it initially purely because it was good horticultural soil and we hadn't hadn't um, any particular inkling at that stage that we were going to get a rush of blood to the head and plant a vineyard
0: so you just knew it as it, it being great soil and great for some kind of agriculture but not sure what at the time
1: well we knew it was good for, for horticulture we knew knew it was good for permanent plantings because it because of the deep red free draining soil and uh, so, so that's what, And initially we were thinking about olives, but luckily we didn't plant any olives because we actually get too much rain and it's too cool in November when they're flowering for olives to do, when they grow fine, but you don't
2: get much fruit.
0: Jan, tell me a little bit about when you joined the picture. How come you decided to, you know, get involved with growing grapes uh, in New England?
2: Oh, actually, it was totally coincidence. I moved to Australia from the Czech Republic with a plan to establish uh, my career in wine and started as a a shop assistant in a bottle shop. Um, And I also started a wine blog uh, thinking it would be the best way how to uh, put my nose into the trade and it was a good step and uh, writing one of my blogs I met Mark and I heard that Unprobable and interesting story of someone growing uh, about 20 different varieties in high altitude uh, in a place nowhere near to, to other vineyards. So I definitely was curious. And, um, and uh, I met Mark, uh, just did an interview for my blog, and the interview took about five hours. We went through like 20 different wines. And I think by the end of the day, we end up working with each other.
0: Well, that's a very successful interview, I have to say. <laughs> Let's explore a little bit about grape varieties because you are working with, I don't want to call them alternate grape varieties because I just find them to be incredibly interesting grape varieties. Um, but tell me a little bit about why the decision, Mark, to, to plant um, something that was probably a little bit different at the time.
1: Well, interestingly, we, um, a fellow called Richard Smart gave us gave us some um, some ideas about what might work there because a lot of the history even though there'd been a lot of grapes grown there by by Wyndham and the other guys that you know in the from the 1860s onwards the knowledge of actually what they'd planted had disappeared because all the vineyards were gone by the by the 1950s probably Um and so we were sort of starting from scratch as to what to plant. We spoke to Richard Smart and he had a thing called a Homo climate analysis where he looked at our climate and some various things that he thinks uh, are the are the, the the major variables in viticulture and then he goes and looks at at uh, established wine growing regions that are closest to to those variables and says, "Well, they're growing these grapes in that place over there that they've been doing it for 200 years or 300 years or whatever. And uh, so that's probably as a good a place to start as any for you. So that's how we started. And we started off with with um, four major varieties, Tempranillo, Riesling, uh, Gewurz and Chardonnay. And then we had the fruit salad, which was 15 rows of, of, of individual varieties that we thought were worth a shot. And it turns out over the years that really those alternate varieties, emerging varieties, whatever you like to call them, non-mainstream varieties, they sort of chose us. They were the ones that that were able to produce in the climate and handle the particular p- peculiarities of, of, of our area, and uh, and produce excellent wines with with um, you know with with the least hassle.
0: I like that. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to to you know. Work with the varieties that that speak to you, but also that are showcasing, you know, um, you know, supreme fruit in the area. So at the moment, you, I mean, you have quite a bit planted, but you've got uh, Gewürztraminer, Petit Manseng, um, Nebbiolo, Fionier.
1: It's actually grow Marcel.
0: Oh, it is grow. Okay, excellent, amazing. Because I've seen it on on your labels. I think sometimes it's just Manseng, and sometimes it says. Grow man'sang, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, well, there's actually a story there. There's um, uh, as, la- as best I know it, there's no Petit Marsung in Australia. It was imported by the CSIRO in the 70s and the French gave them the wrong cuttings and they were actually Grow Marsung. So, everything in Australia, to the best of my knowledge, is Grow Marsung and AWRI contacted us a couple of years ago and said, uh, you guys are growing Petit Petit Marsung and we said yeah and they said well actually it's not <laughs> 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 and and hence that change what they said to us was we're happy given that you guys are, 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 you know not contributed to this error we're happy for you to, to sell out the um, you know the, the wines you've already got bottled and labelled as Petit Masung, but from now on they've got to be labelled accurately and so we just drop the, the grow off and just call them masung
0: hmm that makes a lot of sense i mean in the south of france where they're kind of you know sporadically grown and intermixed and things like that but it it makes a lot of sense to just have mansang and to be to be fair a lot of people in australia aren't particularly familiar with that variety anyway so tell me a little bit about your experience with growing that grape and maybe some of the flavor profiles you think it has
1: well it's 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 probably the one of the probably the variety that Really suits the suits the site best. It is tough as old boots. I mean, it comes from gironson where it rains all the time. Our issue is that you know we're a long way north of of the the sort of delineator of merit, of of Mediterranean climate. So we get significantly more rain in the growing season than we do in winter because we're we're a, a, a semi temperate climate, and so rain's a big issue for us and. So you know, Ma Soong just fits fits him like a glove. The the only issue for for us is that um, it's very high acid, and we're often actually waiting for the acid to fall, not for the sugar levels to rise, so we can pick it.
0: Wow, what a what a unusual situation to be in. I don't hear that very often. I'm really glad that you said that. You know, grow doing so well for you because. I think it is such a stellar, stunning bottle of wine, and I've only seen it get better and better every year that I try it. Um, so I'm glad to hear that that's going to be around a little bit, a little bit more for you. You also do um, a Hill of Dreams wine. Can you tell me a bit about that?
1: Yeah, well, the Hill of Dreams. Well, that's really that. That was really Yarns, baby. Why don't you tell us how that came to be, Yarn?
2: Uh, Hill of Dreams is a kind of a little hillock uh, on the northern side of the vineyard, and I think it's a beautiful piece of, um, of land, uh, as it is a hilly, it's the, uh, there's more gravelly, um, uh, more poor soil just walking through the vineyards and go up to the hill. You can see uh, that the vines are extremely balanced. The beets are in control. Uh, so yeah, it's a beautiful piece of, of the vineyard to me, a special piece of the terroir and, uh, originally It was a mix of um, white and red varieties uh, planted there. There was Sauvignon Blanc, there was Chirazes. But but it's surrounded with eucalyptus trees and uh, the red varieties used to pick up for a bit of uh, mint. So uh, Mark and I decided that we'll craft over the red varieties and currently it's only planted by white varieties, which is Sauvignon Blanc um, Verdejo and in green about and um the idea was to was kind of inspired from uh master dice in elsass who used to field blend uh, uh his fruit from uh, his best terroirs and make just uh basically terroir driven wine so we basically try to do the same story. Uh, we do pick all the varieties at the same time, uh, ferment them with uh, together with a short, uh, probably seven, eight, nine days long skin contact, and then we press them to uh, to to old oak for and leave them for eight, ten months, and just really want to achieve to make site specific wine.
0: It certainly is site-specific, and it's a fascinating wine to drink and think about. It's really clear to me when I look at the range from Toppers Mountains that you are um, interested and fascinated by textual whites, and that comes across really clearly. Um, I, I, I'm surprised by how um, co- complex, but also, um, I suppose dominant those those white varieties are coming across from from the range and they just really speak to our climate and all the different foods of australia as well and what jan you have a particular kind of fascination with with white varieties don't you
2: uh, yeah i do i do um that was probably 15 years ago uh, i visited a place in austria called wachau that's one of the best terroirs for white varieties in the world and, I was just fascinated how wine can be great. It was just, just an eye-opening moment for me. And maybe since then, I have had a really soft spot for everything white. And, and the more and more I'm getting experience with uh, growing and wine winemaking, uh, I, I really try to focus on the texture of white wines, which I, which I think is very interesting. And different varieties can offer different textural um, opportunities or possibilities and styles and just shame to not to look at them a little bit further in
0: Yep, and I think that you're doing a fantastic job because they really do, um, they're so layered and so detailed and so nuanced, um, and your passion for those varieties really comes across. It's great when you have something like Field Blends, I think, to see um, the different varieties within it, but then also to look at as an, an overall package as well. Now, soils are really diverse in the range. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the breakdown of the soils that you work with? Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah, Shante, um, the other than the than the Hill of Dreams, the, the vineyard's very consistent. Um, it's a it's a deep red um, basalt. It's very it, It's very like being on you know on Mount Knobulus. Same type of soil, approximately the same altitude. So we're being further north. We're a little tiny bit warmer. It's a very similar soil. They're very free draining, and um, uh, other than the hill of dreams, it's it's very consistent. But interestingly, we had Sav Blanc on the hill, or we have Sav Blanc on the hill, which goes into the hill of dreams. We also had a block of Sav Blanc on the flat, two hundred and fifty meters away, and there was usually two weeks difference in in ripening and and. Um, And harvest for that for those two two Sav Blanc blocks, and they were the same clones.
0: Wow, well, I mean, I suppose with that kind of altitude, yeah, it is going to have a a really big difference, isn't it? But you know, New England is. it probably for a lot of people still uh, a spot that they want to kind of explore and perhaps aren't for, as familiar with. What, Mark, what's the community like within the region? I mean, these days you have quite a few doors, you've got um, breweries, you even have, I was reading, a meadery that's there as well. You know, is tourism, um, you know, heavily relied upon within the region?
1: Well, historically it's not. I mean, New England's famous for f- fine wool merino sheep. That's that's you know the last hundred years where it's what it's been about, but certainly in the last twenty years, and even more so in the last you know five or six years, and and even more so since COVID, um, yeah, um, tourism is is becoming more and more important, and there are a lot of small producers of all sorts of things, um, you know, trout, cheese geese, eggs, wine, (laughs) all sorts of things are popping up in the region, and it's great. And and we're starting to see the people moving around and into the region to to have a look as a result.
0: Good. I'm so glad to hear that because, like you said, you do kind of have everything you need kind of at your fingertips, Um, and I think that it's definitely a place that people should keep their eye on. And I say that, but I don't want too many people rushing out there and and ruining it either. (laughs) Um, Jan, what is the best part of your job and what what keeps you you know excited to come to work every day
2: I really do like what's actually coming soon and that's the vintage um, in my in my relatively short career in wine I basically fully uh, made a full swing to wine since I moved to Australia which was 20, 2016 or end of 2016 uh, i touched uh, almost everything from direct sales, marketing, um, and finally production. And I think that production is where I feel best. And uh, we're talking production, vintage is just just the best part of the year. It's it's, it's hectic, it's exhausting, but there's lots of adrenaline, lots of excitement and um, lots of creativity because everything changes from day to day. One is a you need to have a plan a plan b plan c for everything and i just enjoy i just enjoy that turmoil though i I wouldn't have it 12 months 12 months of a year
0: (laughs) oh careful what you wish for now you have had um some pretty challenging years not only with COVID, but with some bushfires out that way um some rain events you've had some tumultuous years so it's good to hear that you do like the adrenaline uh, what uh, mark what are you excited about in the in the next few vintages or, or what's up and coming for toppers
1: well it'd be exciting to get back to where we were in 2018 that'd be a, good, <laughs> a very good start um, the, these um, the, I was doing the sums the other day these last four vintages 19 1920 21 22 we still haven't got to the to the total production of 2018 yet. <laughs> So they've been been pretty lean years. Um, But this vintage is is so far um, after a very wet start from, you know, from really February, March last year all the way through to the end of October. It's been wet and cold, but the, the, the gods have smiled upon us and touch wood, it's dried up and warmed up. And, uh, and things look really good at the moment. So I'm I'm really excited to hopefully get a normal vintage.
2: Uh, I just want to add, I'm really excited too, to have a vintage when uh, when we can pick grapes when we want to or not when we need
0: to. Yeah, I, I feel for you guys. Definitely, because you have had some really tough years and your production is so small anyway. So it's not like you've got, you know, a few thousand tons of something else that you can throw in the mix and uh, to see you over. And I think a lot of people don't realize just, you know, that with such a small production, ha- how, how fine you do cut it. But in terms of what you're producing, I don't think you can be doing a better job in terms of what has been going into to bottle because they really are stunning wines, and I encourage everybody to to get out there and and check out what you're doing and and you know buy as much as they can because all of the wines across the board are really showstoppers and really unique and I and in particular Gewürz Traminer for me um reinvigorated me into re, into drinking Gewürz Traminer again because I think that you have been able to encapsulate the beautiful aromatics and then. You know, produce a wine that's got, like you said, lots of texture, some kind of edge work to it, some nice acidity and dryness, which just makes you want to go back. And I have to congratulate you on on how well you've done the Gavert Traminer.
2: Oh, thank you, Chante. <laughs> I would, I would maybe add that uh, I've been so lucky, um, lucky and unlucky. Uh, we don't have a winery at the property, at the vineyard, because it's just so isolated. It's, it's in the middle of a state forest, there and there's no infrastructure for any decent winemaking. So uh, historically, we always made our wines or share our winemaking facilities with someone else. And um, currently, we are uh, making our wines at um, at La Petite Mode which is a winery in Balandine And while I'm making my wines there, uh, I'm not a trained winemaker, and and I have to I have to share a big big thank you to these guys who, who are extremely helpful both in a with uh, equipment as well as advice and um, sharing their experience. Really, really, really great, guys.
0: Indeed. And I've been trying to hassle them to get on the podcast as well because I'm a big fan of their wines. (laughs) But uh, lovely to hear that, you know, you work amongst people that share their knowledge and and support one another because these last few years have taught us, if nothing else, that that is so important. I do ask everybody what they'd like to drink, if they could only drink three drinks for the rest of their life. Mark, would you like to kick us off with, if you could only drink three alcoholic beverages, what would they be and why? That's a difficult question.
1: And um, I've really enjoyed having, having a bit of a think about it. And, uh, and, um, and the, I initially said coffee and then we said, but yeah, but I'm, I'm sort of... You know, at my age, coffee starts to play with the mind a bit. Didn't worry me thirty years ago, but it does worry me a bit now. <laughs> and so, so I think the first thing would be actually, I'd have to say tea because it doesn't matter how much of that I drink, I can I can still get by. So I think tea would have to be first, and uh, and and made properly uh, when I get the chance. So it's got to be made in an old New South Wales railways um, pot and. Uh, and uh, you know, etc. And but beyond that, um, I think um, wines. So definitely wines. And I've I've heard a lot of your guys that you've interviewed talking about um, uh, you know, particular wines that they like. But I'm I'm going to say that it doesn't really matter what sort of wine it is. And what I really enjoy about wine is is you know the the places you should go and the people you meet. And so. My cell is really a reflection on the places I've been and the and the people I've met. And so it's just a a wine that you know, that you've got some story to, you know some of the history of you know who's who's behind it, and uh, in, and you can you can think about those aspects. and so really it doesn't matter what sort of wine it is as long as it's a good one and you've got some link to it. And finally, I, finally, I think, um, I was troubled by this one, but I think I'd have to say, although I don't drink very much of it, um, some nice whiskey. Japanese, Scottish,
0: doesn't matter. Tasmanian, again, it's got a story. Very strong, and I agree with you when you say, you know, wine often or beverages link us so much to a time and a place and sometimes you know you you they're so reminiscent and it's something that can be shared and it is really you know that collective experience that comes with drinking something like a nice wine and sharing it I don't know if you want to always share a, a whiskey because uh you know when you have a really nice whiskey it's often few and far between so I don't know about sharing those but um for <laughs> Three very good answers. Jan, what are you going to be drinking if you've only got three drinks?
2: Well, I, I read the question properly. So I was speaking only about alcoholic drinks. And uh, it was pretty straightforward but to me. Uh, uh, one thing I would definitely like to stick with is Czech beer. Uh, apparently, thanks to my origins. Um, champagne would be second one and uh, Nebbiolo from Barrel and Barbaresco. I-, I can imagine my life just, just having this freak.
0: <laughs> A man that no one knows what he wants. I was, I'm glad you're here to say uh, Czech beer because I really feel like, you know, we're not worthy because your, your pilsners are... Ridiculous! I could wax lyrical about that all day long. Champagne, I mean, who doesn't want champagne? And then, you you know, you're going for the beast of Barolum and Barbaresco. So, um, definitely the finer things in life you like. Yep. <laughs> Well, Mark and Juan, it's been so lovely to have you on. Uh, I love your wines and what you're doing out there. I think, you know, they're quite revolutionary. They're certainly delicious and uh, New England's in incredibly good hands with the likes of you guys. So thank you so much for making the time. I look forward to the next time I try a Toppers Mountain wine and thank you very much for chatting with me today.
1: Yeah, wonderful,
0: Shantae, and um, we would love to see you up there sometime not too far down the track. I will I will definitely be stopping in. I actually have family in Coff's Harbour, so then literally the next time I'm headed out to I'm gonna come on and and pick your brains if that's okay.
1: Wonderful, love to see you. Sounds like a plan. Thank you very much, Shantae, for having us.
0: You're very welcome. Cheers to you. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.